<laughs> Again. <laughs> I was like mid-cough and the lights came on. It's like, oh. <clears throat> so um, we've already mentioned this. Palm Sunday on the Christian calendar. We follow this day. We, the significance of Palm Sunday, for any who don't know, um, it's, it's the recognition of Jesus making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem that week leading up to what we know as, well, there's Good Friday, and then there's Easter, and this whole Holy Week, and all these events that happen. And so there's, we know that what Jesus was coming to Jerusalem for was to celebrate, actually, the Jewish festival, the holiday of Passover. So there were people coming from all over to celebrate this, and they were coming to Jerusalem. And we, we know on this side of history that Jesus was preparing himself. He came in, that he knew the crucifixion was coming. He knew that, well, the arrest and then the crucifixion and ultimately his death and Easter Sunday. And he knew it was all for the sins of the world. We've been talking about the cross. This is what we've been talking about in this series been trying to understand, maybe for the first time or in a much deeper way, really the significance, the depth of what the cross signifies, what Christ has done for us. Interestingly, um, all the people that I love how our kids waved the palm branches and they were so excited out there waiting to come in. Um, there were people that were celebrating that day. There were people that were celebrating Jesus coming into Jerusalem. They were, they were excited for what was going to happen, but nobody in that crowd, even his own disciples, nobody knew what was in store. Jesus did, though. Jesus knew full well. The entire crowd, thousands and thousands and thousands of people, had no idea. There was a celebration that Palm Sunday, but Jesus knew that Friday was coming. He knew it, and he came on in anyway. Um, the significance of that is it's, it's hard for any of us to grasp. He gave it all. He gave it all for us. So, so during the final week, so uh, that week of that Passover celebration week, um, Jesus shared a meal with his friends. We're going to celebrate that in just a little while. We're going to share communion together. Um, he said, as often as you get together, do this in remembrance of me. He took that Passover meal and he changed it into what we call communion now. But on that Friday, and that's really kind of where I want us to focus today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 23. This is Holy Week and this is Palm Sunday, but there's a significant, the, the significant event happens on Friday that makes Easter Sunday that much more significant. On that Friday, Jesus was arrested. He was tortured. He was hung on a cross of shame. That was a, that was a shameful uh, device used for people who had done wrong. It was meant to shame. It was meant to do that. Be beyond torture, it was a symbol of shame. And this is where we pick up uh, in Scripture, in the Gospel of Luke, in this fourth week of our series, At the Cross, beginning in verse 32 of Luke 23. Two others, so we have Jesus on the cross. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him, Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified. One on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. 
And he wasn't talking about the criminals necessarily. He was talking about those who had put him on the cross. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of Jews, save yourself. A sign was actually fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. It was mocking him. One of the criminals hanging, hanging beside him. So now we're looking at the two criminals on either side of Jesus. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, just as the people in the crowd did. So, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? I mean, they knew that death was coming. They knew this. They knew that death was the result, that, that no one was going to come and take them down and say, I hope you learned your lesson. This was the end goal, death. And so he's asking him, aren't you even concerned about this? Even when you've been sentenced to die, verse 41, we deserve to die, the criminal said. We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man, Jesus, hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. At the cross, and this is why I want us to talk about this today. At the cross that Friday, we see all humanity displayed in these two men, the two criminals. We see all humanity that Jesus came and died for. He came and died for both. Those who would repent and those who wouldn't. Those who would call on the name of Jesus and those who wouldn't. He, came, he died. When we say he died for the sins of the world, that's what we mean. Not just some select few, but everyone. He died for the world's sins. And you look at these two people, and this is humanity. There are those who will call on the name of the Lord and those who will not. Those who will see him and go, that's Jesus and others who will go, I don't know. Or they'll go, oh, well, what can you do for me? But they represent humanity. Both of them have been in the presence of the Son of God. Both of them have seen and heard at least enough to know that he claims to be the Messiah. They know enough to know that, that he said he's going to rise again in three days. They know enough to know these things. And so they've heard this, they've seen this, and they've seen it from the perspective of Jesus. And they know, oh, there's an opportunity for freedom here. One stays in rebellion. One chooses to stay in rebellion with, while the other one seizes the opportunity, knowing that death is imminent. The other one seizes the opportunity for ultimate Freedom, not from that cross, but ultimate freedom. To make things right with God before he leaves this earth. So what Jesus does in all his love and all his mercy, he offers this unworthy soul. Because, well, that's all of us. But he offers them grace and freedom from whatever guilt he carried up to that cross. He offered them grace and freedom. And so we've been talking about us coming to the cross. What does it look like? What does it mean? How do we do it? Why do we do it? Why, why is the cross so necessary? I want to I point out these two criminals because 
at the cross, you have a choice. You have a choice. The cross, we, we see it differently than they did. But still, even so, you have a choice. Break chains. Break the, the chains of, of unforgiveness. Those things that have held you captive. Those things that have held you to that place. That have nailed you to that place. I wrote down unforgiveness, hatred, bitterness, a broken past, guilt, shame, torment. Regret. Hard-heartedness. Because, and I say that because you have an opportunity, I have an opportunity to come to the cross and say, God, I need forgiveness. God, in your glory, I don't deserve this. I haven't, you know, that, that, you've, a lot of you guys have heard this. That criminal on that cross, we know he didn't receive communion. He hadn't been baptized. Okay, he hadn't been a disciple for three years. Like he had done none of the things that said, oh, that's a Christian. The only thing he did was believe. And he did it in the, <laughs> the last possible moment. That's all he did. And Jesus bestowed upon him all the grace and all the freedom that he bestows, that he wants to give to us. This is what he wants to do. And so at the cross, and this is why I mentioned these two, is they, they represent humanity. Do we resent the work of Jesus? Do we doubt it? Do we just want to see what we can get out of it? Or do we say, no, that's the Son of God. He is the Messiah. The promise is there for grace and freedom at the cross. Now, at the cross, we find this. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Basically, it explains everything I just stumbled over trying to explain. <laughs> Paul writes, beginning in verse 13, I'm going to read verse 13 and then verse 22. Paul writes, he said, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. Okay, so we knew that sin was going to produce death. That, that was the end of that. That was what the law pronounced. Um, Christ has rescued us from the curse that pronounced, that, the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross... He took upon himself the curse of our wrongdoing. That's what Jesus did. Verse 22, look at the last part of verse 22. It says, so we receive God's promise of what? Of what? Just yell it like, um, was it William Wallace? Yeah, there you go. So, so, we receive, <laughs> so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Only by believing. See, this is what the cross signifies for us. And yet, and I know, some of you, most of you probably are going, I know this, Shannon. I know the information you're doling out right now. I know it. I know the passage you're reading. I know the story. I know the Holy Week thing. I know the Good Friday business. I know it. I know what's coming three days later. I've heard it. I know it. How are you moved by it? How are you affected by this? How are you responding to this truth? How are you living out this proof, this reality? 
That, that's really the question. That's really why we've been talking about the cross and us refocusing on it. There were certainly uh, spectators there that day in Jerusalem as Jesus entered in, right? There were those who waved branches, but their hearts were really no different than the thief who scoffed at Jesus. In order for us to experience the freedom of the cross, truly experience it, we need to let our heart be confronted. We need to let our heart be confronted. I believe that's what that thief was dealing with as he was there on that cross. His heart was confronted. He knew death was coming. Not one day maybe, not I hope I live as long as grandma and grandpa did. Like he knew it was happening. His heart was confronted and he recognized Jesus as Lord. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Our heart needs to be confronted. I'm speaking to the complacent. I'm speaking to myself. Our heart needs to be confronted. Like, like the thief that chose Christ, right? This confrontation that we, you might deal with it, it, that, you know, of your heart, it, it's, it should be loving, but it will be kind of heavy. It it should be refreshing, but it will quite likely be painful as well. But we need to allow our heart to be confronted by the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for each of us. Because this confrontation leads to freedom. It leads to freedom. And this kind of confrontation doesn't need to happen just once. Because you might be going, oh yeah, I had that confrontation. Oh wow, it was a doozy. Mm-hmm. I've had some too. I can name the dates of some of them. But this kind of con- confrontation of our heart about the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and the freedom that he brings to our life so we no longer have to be bound up by, by so much junk, it needs to happen regularly. Regularly allow our heart to be confronted. We need to let Jesus lovingly, purposely confront us every day. Free us every day. Isn't, isn't that a good, <laughs> good reality? To let him do this. And listen, I know confrontation, I mean, it, it sounds confrontational. It's an invitation. Allowing... Him to confront your heart is an invitation to know his heart. It's an invitation to establish a a spiritual habit, right, of coming before the Lord. This is why we've been so focused on the cross, for us to recognize that as a symbol of a place where we can establish this habit of saying, all right, I'm going to allow my head and my heart and my hands, I want to I surrender them to the Lord. God, confront my heart, confront my mind, confront my hands. 
Am I, am I worshiping you? Am I, am I scoffing at you? Am I ignoring the glorious work you've done? Am I calling on your name? Am I just seeing what I can get out of it? Or am I fully surrendered to you? And I understand and I'm living in the freedom that you bring. We need to establish this. So we're going to do something. We're going to do a little something. Um, I certainly did not make this up. This habit has been around for a long, 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 long time. Um, I've done it a few times myself. And um, I most recently was watching whenever, whenever Asbury was having their awakening. And I was watching one of their chapel services. And uh, I saw one of the, the leaders do this. And I was like, yes, we're going to share that with our church family. So... We want to come before the Lord. So if, let's say we're talking about spiritual habits, right? Like developing a habit, going, okay, confront my heart. How does that happen? <laughs> like, is that just, am I just waiting for the pastor to do that, to say the, the right phrase, and then that's going to confront my heart? And now we're, okay, and I'll try and deal with it later maybe. No, no, no. This is like a, a you and God deal. So I'm going to read Psalm 139. Um, I'm going to read the first 18 verses, and then we're going to pray together the last two verses, 23 and 24. So before we go into a posture of prayer, let's, let's first get into a posture in our, in our body. So put your feet on the floor, both of them. And now I'm holding my Bible. Some of you are too. Um, if you have a free hand, just open it up. Put your hand on your legs and turn that palm up. It's an act of of saying, here I am, Lord. Okay? And I want you to hear this. And I want you to just imagine yourself sitting there before Jesus. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day, darkness and light are the same to you. 
You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Repeat this part of a prayer beginning in verse 23 with me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Let's just take a few moments and leave that up. And sit with that for a minute. Allow God to search you and know your heart. I know this is so hard for some of you. <laughs> the quiet. Let's say the second part together. Repeat after me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. <laughs> Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Let's sit with that for a moment.
So we've prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. We've prayed, test me and know my anxious thoughts. This is the confrontation of our heart. And then here comes the doozy. Repeat this. Point out anything in me that offends you. Let's sit with that for a minute. And then like the thief on the cross who recognized Jesus as Lord and Messiah, let's say these last words together and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Amen. I wanted us to walk through that exercise together because it's so difficult, I think, um, Sometimes to put to have something tangible in a way to practice, but friends, we need to we need to allow our heart to be confronted regularly, and this is an example of how to do that. Read Psalm one thirty nine. Declare how much God He knows your business. That's what all those verses one through eighteen says. And then pray those last two verses. And allow him, allow the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to you. I, I, I will confess to y'all, I could have sat here longer with the, with the how I've offended him. I'm sure none of y'all could have, but it was, I was still in, in it. We have this opportunity to, to meet him at the cross. And what I understand and what I've experienced but what I want, to con- I want to continue to experience regularly is that freedom at the cross. And so I hope that that's a desire of your heart as well. That this Palm Sunday and Holy Week and Good Friday and Easter will have more significance this year than perhaps it ever has before. He went to the cross. And now on this side of history, we get to meet him at that cross. 
That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. I'm going to ask those who are sharing communion uh, with you to go ahead and prepare those elements and bring them out. Would you pray with me? And I'm going to include in this prayer something I want you to think about before I start the prayer. And that is um, all the stats show it. People will come to church with you on Easter when they won't come any other, any other Sunday of the year. They will. I don't know if it's cultural, social, or whatever, but they'll come. So when we pray, we're also going to ask the Lord to reveal to us those people that we need to invite. Or if they're not living around here, we need to encourage. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you that you meet us at the cross. I thank you, Lord, for the freedom that you bring, for the hope, <laughs> for the for the uh, release of the captive, because that's the kind of freedom that you bring, is that, that release. Lord, I pray that even, if, if, even if it's just a, a blip on our, on our radar today, that, that your Holy Spirit is speaking to us, that we are thinking about, we're asking you, God, to search our heart we're asking you to reveal those things in our heart that are not of you, that, that, that are worthless. God, I pray that um, we will be people who will practice well, for, for, I, I pray we'll be people who practice what I preached on today. <laughs> Psalm 139, from your word, you bring freedom to those who call on your name. God, I thank you for the sacrament of communion. Thank you for what it what we remember in it, what it signifies, what it symbolizes. And that is your precious, holy, glorious life given for each and every one of us. We don't deserve it. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and mercy. Father, and out of that place of basking in your grace and mercy, I ask, Lord, that you would place names of those people that we need to invite to come experience you on Easter Sunday. Whether it's here or somewhere else, doesn't matter. Who are the people that need to hear the message of truth and hope and to see people celebrate the risen king? God, show us those people. Thank you, God, for the freedom found in the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name. 
We pray these things. Amen.